0: Of course, before we can get into the poem itself, um, there's a lot of introductory comments. So, it's likely, inshallah, depending on how things go, that we'll get to the first line of the poem today. Uh, that would be the, the best case scenario in terms of content covered. Uh, it's possible we won't get to the first line. Um, It's very, very unlikely that we'll actually get to study the first line, but at least, inshallah, we'll hope to reach there. And so, what I would like to do in the beginning is first explain how we came to this particular text. Uh, And I I think that's important because there's always stories behind how you get to these kind of places and stories behind how uh, one comes to a gathering or one comes to study a particular text. And so, that then is an opportunity to to get better perspective. And I did not intend to teach this text in, in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't even on my horizon. And what I had intended to do was, you know, that we would try to have gathering like this where people can come together and study. Uh, but the initial intent was to cover something along the lines of the Seerah, the life of the Prophet them or even, you know, a book of shama'il of the descriptions of the Prophet, just from the hadith and then talk about it. And in doing that and looking at different texts, then I, I thought to myself that it would be nice if we had a line of poetry or two to kind of start off such a gathering, because that would just be a really nice thing and poetry is always nice and so on. So I thought, you know, if we're gonna have poetry at the beginning of a gathering, talking about the Prophet then the poem that you have to listen, that you have to have at the beginning is the Burda of Imam Bussiri, which is this one. So then I open the Burda, which itself has, the, the English translation that we have has its own story. So there's this English translation, it's very beautifully done by Dr. Timothy Winter, sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad, called The Mantle Adorned, Imam Bussiri's Burda. And uh, it's very expensive. Just so you know in advance, and it's uh, but it's very beautiful. Uh, and what he's done is he has each line of the poem in Arabic, and then a stanza from any sort of other poem praising the Prophet SAW below it, and the translation. And then there's just really nice typography. Um, so this was a random gift that we received from um, someone that we know. I won't reveal their identity, but we happened to visit this person. And he said, you know, I want to give this to you guys. So this ended up in our possession. and It wasn't intended to be in our possession, so, so to speak. Um, so I started looking at it. And as I was looking at it and, and looking at it again, and I, I realized that I think that this would be better than just reading hadith. And the reason behind that is because, first of all, poems are very beautiful in the first place. But also because the poem is different than reading a bunch of hadith which of course is meritorious and of course is good. But the poem is a poem, so it touches on different things and it really gets to the depth of human experience and it gives us an opportunity to go in so many different directions. That maybe the hadith, you would feel less comfortable using the hadith to jump off into so many different things. But with the poem, it's just right there and it makes sense to do so. And so then I decided that, you know, that sounds like a good idea. In retrospect, I don't know if it was a good idea, (laughs) we're going to find out, but I definitely feel a lot of anxiety about teaching this particular text. I don't really know anyone who has taught it that I can think of in English. I know Sheikh Hamza did some brief things, Um, I'm sure people have done it, but I didn't realize afterwards that I'm probably wading into uncharted territory. Um, the, the poem, of course, was the subject of much controversy, especially in the 90s. 90s Islam was 90s Islam in America, and it was the subject of a lot of controversy, which we'll come to later. But it's, it's just very… Um, when you read hadith and when you study the life of the Prophet wasallam, it has one feeling. But when you are studying a poem that is specifically intended for the praise of the Prophet wasallam, it's a different feeling. And, and part of that is that you just you can't praise the Prophet of in the way that he deserves to be praised and this is something that the poets who wrote on the life of the Prophet of all acknowledged and they said how is it that we can adequately appraise or how can we adequately, adequately praise the one whom Allah Himself praised so if Allah praised the Prophet of in so many different places in the Qur'an then you know everything else that we're going to do is going to come up short. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's not worth it doing. And so we also, I think, when we study a poem, we 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 have the opportunity to study Islam in a way that encourages and recognizes beauty. And that's something that is in increasingly important in our communities, in our lives, uh, and and realizing really that the the heart of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was a heart that recognized beauty and those who follow the way of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam should really attain to uh, some level of ability to distinguish between what's beautiful and what's ugly and really that's uh, much of the teachings of islam comes down to this when we talk about the fitra talking about the natural disposition of human beings and how human beings are created on the fitra and there's this idea that everything in the teachings of Islam, you know, if there's a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or His Messenger to do something, then there's tahseen in that, that there's something beautiful in that. And if there's a, a prohibition from Allah or His Messenger not to do something, then there's taqbih in that, that there is, uh, there's some ugliness in that, in that thing that we're told not to do. And this is why Allah and His Messenger are giving us that guidance. So in following the guidance, And coming closer to the Messenger ﷺ, there should be a deepened appreciation for that which is beautiful. And in studying the poem, we have, um, I mean, you're studying something that is such a deep expression of this human being's love for the Prophet ﷺ, which is of the greatest of emotions, And, and so you really get an opportunity to do that. Uh, some people, Abd al-Hakim Murad among them, Sheikh Abdul al-Hakim, he said that actually each line of the poem is supposed to be the, the, um, the subject of one hour's worth of meditation. That this is not something that you really rush through. And, and part of what I find intimidating is doing this every week, <laughs> to be honest, because how are you supposed to do it every week? Um, in the several weeks leading up to this, had the, I had a good amount of time to spend on the first line. But between next week and this week, there's only one week, and and so we try to spend our time reflecting and thinking about this, uh, and and we'll see how many threads of inquiry can be pulled from each line of the poem. So, in the first line of the poem, for example, we get the opportunity. Welcome, Abdullah. Uh, we get the opportunity to think about neighborliness. We get the opportunity to think about love. We get the opportunity to think about geography. And its impact on the soul. This also is in the first line of the poem. We have to think about crying. Just the idea of crying itself. Um, So many things that come out only in the first line. The first line is a handful of words. So it will give us an opportunity to go into all kinds of places. And we use the poem then just very similar to the way the, the, the Prophet ﷺ's example for us is a means that touches every part of our lives. And so similarly, when we praise the Prophet send them through this poem, we get the opportunity to touch so many different areas uh, of our lives. So that will um, be something that kind of that, that continues throughout. And we want to, in, in that, maintain an environment of love. We want to maintain an environment of support. It's very important, I think, sometimes when we come to these kind of gatherings, you know, especially if we intend to learn something, uh, inshallah we all learn something But It is not the, the, the gathering of learning is not simply a gathering of learning And this is something that really strikes at the core Of how we understand our faith And, and the, the Prophet Sallallahu send them In numerous ahadith Encouraged being in the gatherings of remembrance So he said For example Sallallahu <laughs> Alaihi sallam That if you pass by the gardens of paradise ta'u فِيهَا if you That if you pass by the gardens of paradise, take some rest in them. They asked him, Ya Rasulullah, what do you mean by the gardens of paradise? He said, I mean the gardens of remembrance. The gatherings of remembrance. And some of the Sahaba, they commented, they said, we don't just mean the gatherings of dhikr, but the gatherings of ilm are also gatherings of remembrance. Now, why that's important is again, because the gathering of learning is not only about knowledge. Like, knowledge in terms of material knowledge but it's also a gathering of knowledge in terms of spiritual knowledge and that when we come together uh, with the sincere intention for Allah's pleasure when we come together to learn more about the Prophet then we come to a place that is not only inhabited by ourselves but we come to a space that is inhabited also by the angels and that the angels are present in the gathering and the angels are mentioning our names to Allah and the angels, are the mercy of Allah is coming down upon the gathering And the forgiveness of Allah is near for those who are there You know, the other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ about a gathering of people And someone, they're asking for Allah's forgiveness And Allah is giving them forgiveness And one person, they just happened, you know, they saw what was going on They decided to come They didn't actually really intend to seek Allah's forgiveness by coming to the gathering They just thought, people are there, I want to be in this kind of gathering So the mercy of Allah also extends to this person so there's elements in it that it's it's about more than just um, sparking something new in our minds but it's also about sparking something in our hearts that this is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wa We call these gatherings the prophet's touch. And uh, again, nothing is haphazard. You know, we, and this was before we chose the poem of al-Bulthan. We decided we were going to call it the Prophet's touch. And the idea was that we study the life of the Prophet and we seek to see how he has touched our lives. The thing is that when we come to the story of what happened with Imam Busiri and this poem, you will see how coincidental that is, quote unquote. And then when you think about uh, one of my favorite lines from the Buddha, it also deals with the Prophet's touch not only physically but you know like how uh, he's touched our lives in ways that we don't always understand and, and in that verse Imam Busiri he said he said all of them are taking all of them are seeking you know something from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. some of them are taking handfuls from the ocean and some of them are getting some drops from a spray So the idea here is that We take different levels But all of us are impacted by the Prophet That we come to the masjid That we mention the name of Allah That we know how to pray That we know how to be kind to one another Or we know how to show generosity to one another That we forgive each other That we support each other That we seek to know one another All of this is from the guidance of the Prophet So we're taking still He's touching our lives So the title even of the gatherings has Uh, some level of providence in it inshallah we ask Allah to accept from us all. The next major thing then is to talk about prophetic prose poetry or prophetic praise poetry. Alhamdulillah Ilyas is here. (laughs) Um, There's special, by the way there's special importance and blessings to having uh, our older brothers and sisters in the room, as well as our younger brothers brothers and sisters in the room. As the Prophet taught us that the one who does not uh, (laughs) the one who doesn't show mercy to our young, and the one who does not show reverence to our elderly, they're not from us. And so when we have older brothers or sisters in the gathering, it brings extra weight to the gathering. And when we have younger people in the gathering, it also brings extra weight to the gathering, because the the remembrance of Allah in those who have more experience in age is stronger than it is usually in those who are younger. And the closeness to the natural disposition of Islam is stronger in those who are younger than those who have experienced a lot of things as age has afflicted them with what has afflicted them. So having uh, all of this in the gathering is a blessing. Alhamdulillah. There's a lot to say about prophetic praise poetry, in that this is, um, it shouldn't be a surprise that the the ocean of Islam has exerted great force on the literary traditions that it has come in contact with. And of course, this is what you should expect from a people who have direct word by word revelation from God, that they give a lot of weight to words. and words are very important, and the usage of words is very important, and the understanding of how words can come together to really be very beautiful, holds weight with Muslims because we follow the Qur'an. And so everywhere Islam has spread, you see that people are very interested in poetry, they're very interested in the written word, and, uh, and so the, the Muslim civilization is the poetic civilization across the board it's the poetic civilization. And the Prophet Sallallahu himself, of course, was not a poet. Man to be Shah imagine that you are not a poet and you are not crazy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the Prophet Sallallahu He was not a poet. And yet his eloquence was such that it inspired so many people to care about poetry. Because one word, one sentence from the Prophet stamped in the mind. You know, it's just, it's so powerful. Not only poetry, but also prose has also been inspired by the Prophet The very, f- one of the early examples of this uh, is of course in Hassan ibn Thabit The Shayir of Rasulullah He was the poet of the Prophet he used to write poetry praising the Prophet and the Muslims. He used to write poetry against the enemies of Islam, all in the time of the Prophet. Even one time, he offered him, you know, like the front of the gathering, and he told him, You know, that, you know, write poetry against the enemies of Islam, and Jibreel is with you. The Prophet told Hassan this. So it was a very strong kind of statement. And the other big one that is the initial burda which means like a, a cloak or a mantle. Uh, the initial burda is the burda of Ka'ab ibn Zuhair And Ka'b ibn Zuhair was uh, from the later companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. he was actually a very famous poet in the time of the Prophet and he was uh, very much against Islam. And his brother became a Muslim before he became a Muslim and his brother told him, you know, you should actually, you should come to the right side you know, leave the dark side and come to the right side and join the Prophet and use your skills for the right way, and he rejected him. He said no. And later on a lot of time passed and he realized, you know, that he maybe should reevaluate his situation. And so he knew that he was in trouble and that his life was not, you know, in a good situation, because he had written a lot of poetry against the Prophet. And so when he came to the Prophet, there's different stories about it. But it basically says that he came to the Prophet them, and he told them, you know, if, if someone has done all of these kind of bad things, will Allah forgive them? As the Prophet them forgive them and so on. And he started to ask all these questions. And the Prophet affirmed that whatever comes before Islam is forgiven. Don't worry about it. Doesn't so no matter what you did before Islam, when you come to Islam, all of that is forgiven. So then when he said this, Ka'ab said, okay... Rasulullah, I'm Ka'b ibn Zuhair. <laughs> this is who I am then. <laughs> he revealed his identity. And then he immediately launched into this poem. So it's a, this is the first burda is actually the burda of Ka'b ibn Zuhair. He launched after he, he affirmed his identity. And he affirmed that he wanted to become a Muslim. Then he launched into this poem. Where in it he praised the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi them, And he said that his mercy is, is expected and all of these kind of things. And then afterwards The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Listened to the whole poem And he smiled And then he took his His burda He took his mantle And he clothed it on Ka'b ibn So this is where he got The the title of al-burda You know this is why his poem became uh, the, the 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 one that got this title And that kind of of course inspired Many people afterwards to write poems uh, Praising the Prophet send them And really kind of Following that path uh, Of course all of these poems are Just as that line from Busiri that we mentioned before All of these poems are like you know, Handfuls from the ocean Of the prophetic guidance They're just trying to get something From the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And give uh, a little bit from it Because the reality of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam As Nizami said Which we'll also come to later He said, silent though he be His words still ravish hearts Silent though he be, his words still ravish hearts. Meaning the Prophet them is no longer with us. We don't actually hear him speaking anymore. We don't actually see him living amongst us anymore. And yet, the words of the Prophet them still, they bring, uh, they impact our hearts. Did you hear a story about the Prophet them and it shakes you. You hear a statement about the Prophet them and it shakes you. And it really makes you look at things differently. One of the ones that really shook me recently um, is this hadith of the Prophet where it says that he was giving khutbah. It's possible that it was khutbah, al-jum'ah, you know, but the word khutbah can technically mean any sermon, so we don't exactly know. I haven't read the commentary to know for sure, but he was giving a khutbah and a man came into the gathering and he interrupted him. You know, he came in and he said I don't remember if it was Ya Rasulullah Ya Muhammad He said, there's a man who doesn't really know anything about his faith And the Prophet, he's referring to himself So the Prophet interrupted his sermon And he asked for something to sit on And he took this and he went and he sat right in front of the person And he started to teach him about Islam <laughs> Imagine, in the middle of the sermon This guy comes and says, I don't know anything about Islam he goes and he starts to tell him the basics. Obviously, what is the Prophet Sallallahu talking about in his sermon? He's talking about Islam, right? But he's like, these certain things, they need to come first. Teaches them about, you know, prayer, all the things he needs to know. Then he asks the man, he's like, is that, is that good for now? Like, have you learned enough? He said, yes. He put the chair on the side, he went back, continued his sermon. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The amazing things you see in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And, 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 and he speaks still And he touches our lives still Even though he's not there One of the funny examples I was thinking about uh, Is that we end up following the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Especially for people who are born into Islam uh, Before we even realize that we're following him you know, Before we learn anything about Allah Before we learn anything about his messenger We're still being touched by Allah and his messenger Even before we know who he is Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And the funny example of this that I was thinking about is how whenever we bring my son to a gathering, you know, and I'm sure uh, Selma's had the same experience, you know. Elias comes to a gathering and you go you say, say salam alaikum to uncle, say salam alaikum to auntie, whatever it might be. First of all, you're telling him to say salam, which is from the extension of the Prophet. But also then when the kid goes to shake hands, what do they do if he tries to put out his left hand? (laughs) They tell him, no, 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 use your right hand. Now some people look at this and be like, that's kind of silly. It's a two-year-old. You don't have to instruct the two-year-old on which hand to shake with. He's not cleaning himself anyways. (laughs) To apply this rule, (laughs) that you're supposed to be shaking hands with the hand that you're not cleaning yourself with. I mean, I'm cleaning him. (laughs) His mother's cleaning him. But still, people tell him, put your right hand out. You can look at it and say, that's kind of silly. It's unnecessary. Or you can look at it and you can say, SubhanAllah. That this is actually out of the love of the Prophet sallallahu and That even before we can introduce him to the Prophet sallallahu and then We want to make the, f- the ground fertile You know, this is something that, that, that's familiar to him The following his way is familiar to the person So these poems have been written about the Prophet sallallahu Throughout history, um, about his life Specifically many poems are written about his birth uh, Many poems are written about his shafa'ah on the Day of Judgment that the Prophet will be there to intercede for for the believers on the Day of Judgment and to, to kind of like be in their corner, so to speak, and, and seek their forgiveness and so on on the Day of Judgment. Many kinds of poems written about these type of things, but the Borda in the end is the most famous. And it has literally hundreds and hundreds of commentaries. You know, I called one of the brothers who we studied with, and I was telling him that I'm going to do this, and he asked me, like, which commentaries do you have? It's not a question of, do you have the commentary? <laughs> which commentaries do you have? Total, the problem is that obviously it's hard to access written commentaries when you're sitting in California. And online I could only really find one, which is the commentary of Imam al-Bajuri, uh, rahimahullah, one of the great later scholars of Al-Azhar. And he said, okay, alhamdulillah, like inshallah it'll be enough. It's like, if you ever come to visit me in the state that he's in, I won't give away his identity. I have like five or six of them in the office and you can take whichever ones you want and use them. But The idea is that literally hundreds of commentaries have been written on the buddha. Other things that have been written is like where someone will take one line and after the one line or before the one line they'll add three or four of their own. So I call this takhmis. Like in Egypt alone there's over 80 takhmisat that have been written only in Egypt on the buddha itself, additions to the poem and expansions on the poem. Um, so it really, you know, when we talk about this as a as a means of remembering the Prophet, ﷺ, there's two major issues that come up, which are introductory issues that we have to mention, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on them because I think it takes away from the meat of the conversation. But the first issue is the imperative of loving the Prophet, ﷺ, and the second is the importance of remembering the Prophet. ﷺ. And so we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but we'll do it, inshallah very briefly. And the last thing before we get into that is that, as this is a tradition of Islam, and as we are in a gathering of people who are seeking to love the Prophet, وسلم, as these gatherings continue, um, if, there, if anyone you know, decides that, you know what, I want to write a couple lines of their own couple lines of praise that were inspired by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam a couple lines bringing out something that they think was beautiful about his life maybe a paragraph of prose praising the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam if anyone at any point in these gatherings is inspired to do that and you want to share it with the group then just come speak to me or, or speak to my wife Inshallah uh, or, you know, and we'll, we can talk about that and see if maybe if people have the courage to do so Hopefully it's a safe environment to do so. We can share some of these things with one another. And, and, I, and I, you will find that there is a difference. The impact on your heart is different. The impact on the heart when you remember the Prophet them, is one thing. But when you sit down and you actually think, like, you know what, let me... What is it? Because when you write poetry, you're really trying to dig deep into your heart. And get something that really touches you, right? So when you dig deep like that, you strike different chords that you don't strike normally. So I would encourage people to give it a shot, inshallah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the most amazing lines. We don't expect you to be Imam Bulsiri. But if someone shares a few lines of anything, then it's all in the praise of the Prophet, and that's a good thing. that's That's not a problem, inshallah. The imperative to love and follow the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is something that obviously we don't even really have to talk about but I just uh, I guess we have to at the same time is the end of it We don't just believe in Allah We believe in the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So knowing the Prophet loving the Prophet following the Prophet all of this is part of um, the way of Islam and there's numerous verses in the Quran about this you know uh, one of them in the awla Aalamin Muminin min anfusihim that the Prophet is is more deserving of the believers than their own selves. That the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is more deserving of the believers than their own selves. This is there's so many hadith too, where the Prophet Sallallahu talked about how one will not attain true belief until they love the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi sallam more than even themselves. It's the same meaning. Some people get caught up on this. I remember even one time in a place that I was giving khutbah, I won't mention it, uh, there were some older people who were very upset about this. They said this khatib got up, he said you have to love the Prophet sallallahu and more than you love yourself. It doesn't even make sense. And I was like, <laughs> this, is, this is like borderline kufr. <laughs> I mean, you can, if you don't understand it, it's one thing. But to come and like, they were really upset. Like, I cannot believe that this person said this. It doesn't make any sense. How can we love the Prophet ﷺ more than ourselves? You love yourself more than anything else. You know, and I was like, wow, this is I mean I understand and we can talk about it. But the mode of expression is very troublesome. And and this happened with Omar radiallahu an. You know, Omar came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than everything except for me. <laughs> you know? You're on the top of the list and you're just number two after me. Right? So this is a similar sentiment. And the Prophet told him, Not yet, Ya Omar. Like you didn't attain true faith until you love me more than you love yourself. And Omar went and he considered it for a little while and he came back. He's very intelligent, عنه, And he said, Ya Rasulullah, like now I did it. Okay. So why? How does that make even any sense? It's very simple. Our own lives have no meaning. If we don't follow the way of the prophets, I, in and of myself, me, in and of myself, I don't have a whole lot of value. I can say this, especially as someone who converted to Islam, I have very little value without the gu- actually pretty much negative overall value without the guidance of the prophets, sallallahu alaihi So who's more important in the end, the prophets, Islam, or me? The prophets, Islam. He's more important than myself. Now, does that really, is that really settled as a reality in my heart? Maybe not. But at least mentally I can understand it. That it, This room is here because of the Prophet sallallahu This masjid is here because of the Prophet sallallahu Of course Allah is the ultimate reason for everything. Don't, I hope everyone understands that. But it's the inspiration of the Prophet sallallahu that all of this exists. And so that, that's, you know, it's, it, it also alludes to the importance of preserving the Prophet's Sallallahu life, which is its own topic. Uh, I did this in like a three or four hour seminar at the Hathoam Masjid a couple months ago. I think the audio is online. You can find it. It's extremely boring, but important. Um, about how we know that the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu is preserved. I mean, it's, it's true. It's not the most exciting stuff, but it's important. And so, but that's part of Islam also, is that his life is preserved. His legacy is preserved. And you have all of these examples about how it's important. Uh, the one that I think we should leave with, uh, of course the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam longed not only to see his companions, but also to see us and to meet us. He said, I wish that I would see my brothers, Ikhwani, that includes my sisters. And the, the companion said, aren't we those people, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, no, you're my companions. My brothers and sisters are the ones who are coming after you, th- and they come after me. They never see me, but they believed in me still. So the Prophet them actually had a longing to know every person in this room, which is an amazing and beautiful uh, idea in and of itself. The other one is that sometimes we feel like, how am I deserving even to, to be like in the same... Like we're going to go to paradise But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is in paradise And we're in paradise I mean really It's to—it's a long distance There's <laughs> a long distance between us and him And one of the companions of the Prophet He came to him he asked the Prophet He said what, when is the end of times so He said what have you prepared for it And this is a good answer <laughs> What did you do And he said I didn't do a whole lot Except that I love Allah and his Messenger, Which is a big deal to love Allah and His Messenger is a big deal and The Prophet told him You will be with the one whom you love Which is an affirmation It's a positive thing But it's a double-sided sword Right It's a good thing if you love Allah and His Messenger And you love the righteous people And you love people who do good And you love people who care for others and so on It's not a good thing if you love other kinds of people because he's telling you, you're going to be with whoever you love If you love bad people, you're going to be with bad people If you love the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam You'll be with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The importance of remembering the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Is also something that I found especially in the American context Is almost absent, which is very strange uh, This idea of remembering the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Saying Salat on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Asking for Allah to bless him asking for Allah to increase him all of these kind of just saying Allahumma sayyidina Muhammad wa ala sayyidina Muhammad Allahumma sayyidina Muhammad wa wa sahbihi sallam these kind of things doesn't really it's not so much a part of the american muslim landscape and it's very strange because it's something that's so central to islam and uh, one of the i think the thing that really just um, there's so there's books written on this so Imam al sakhawi has a book on this. Imam Ibn Qayyim has a book on this. Obviously we're not going to study these books right now. But, and many of these works have been translated as well. But there's one hadith that I think summarizes the whole thing and should be enough to show how important it is. And that hadith is the hadith of Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu. Where he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love to make salah on you. You know, I love to say Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad I love to do this So how much of it should I do Like, what, How much of my dua Should I make salat on you So the Prophet sallallahu He told him Whatever you like you know, The Prophet sallallahu is very laid back He told him whatever you like But Ubay is not going to stop there Right Like he's asking the Prophet so he can get Something very particular So he asked him how about a fourth? So the Prophet, <laughs> how about a fourth? The Prophet tells him, a fourth is good, but if you did more, it would be better. So he said, how about a half? You know, like half of my dua I make for you. He said, half is good, but if you did more, it would be better. He said, how about two-thirds? He said, two-thirds is great. If you did more, it would be better. <laughs> so obey, he said, what if I make all of my dua, salah on you, sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, if you did that, your worries and your anxieties would be alleviated, and your sins would be forgiven. It's very deep. Your worries and your anxieties would be alleviated, and your sins would be forgiven. Saying just, Allahumma salli alayhi wa sallamah Allahumma salli getting in the habit of saying it. The other thing that the scholars have traditionally said is that saying Salah on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the best du'a you can possibly make. Part of the reason is because, it will, uh, because when you make du'a, right, sometimes you wonder, is it going to be accepted, is it not? Sometimes maybe, I'm, not, I'm in a better state, I'm in a worse state, I've been committing more sins, I've been committing less sins, I'm asking for certain things, is it going to be answered or not? And they said that anytime you ask Allah to bless the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it's automatically answered. It doesn't matter who you are. If you ask Allah to forgive and bless the Prophet Allah forgives and blesses the Prophet and That's why one of the etiquettes of dua is to start by praising Allah and then to send blessings upon the Prophet and then you ask for whatever you want to ask for and then you end by sending blessings and praise on the Prophet So whatever you're asking for you couch it between asking for the Prophet to be blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you say you don't just say you don't just walk in and you say, you know what, I really want um, a cheese pizza today. Oh Allah, give me a cheese pizza. For example, you can make du'a all kinds of things. People think it's funny. Like this it's narrative from some of the salaf that they would make du'a for salt. <laughs> like they want salt in the morning and say, Ya oh Allah please give me salt. Right? So you go and you want to make du'a for I don't know. To have halal income. So you don't just go and raise your hand and say, Oh Allah, give me halal income. You say, Allahumma lakal hamd, or Alhamdulillahi Rabbil alamin," or any praise of Allah in the beginning, and then you say, Wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad, or Wa sannallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad, whatever it is, and then you say, Oh Allah, give me halal income. And then you say, Muhammad, you end it also with dua of the Prophet. So then that brings us to the work of Imam al-Busiri itself and why and who he was and why it's important so that we can get to that first line, inshallah, before we run out of time. Imam al-Busiri was Muhammad ibn Sa'id. Uh, he was born in Egypt and he died in Egypt. Uh, most likely in Alexandria. There's a masjid where he's said to be buried there. Uh, next to the same masjid of uh, al Abbas al-Mursi he was born in 608 or 1211 I'll use the AD numbers just because it makes more sense for people so he was born in 1211 and he died in 1294 so he lived to be in his 80s Uh, it said that generally he was like a pretty normal person you read his biographies you know he complains about his kids and, or they, you know there's things where he complains about his kids, he complains about not having enough money, um, he complains about his wife, <laughs> you know, apparently it seems that from the biographies he had a difficult wife, um, and later on in his life he wrote a lot of poetry, he was a poet, and then later on in his life he was afflicted by an illness that left half of his body in paralysis. So half of his body was paralyzed, and um, during the time of that paralysis is when he decided that he was going to write this poem praising the Prophet Sallallahu and basically ask that Allah cures him as uh, intercession through his deed that he wrote this poem and that Allah will cure him from this illness that he had. Uh, intercession is uh, Tawassul and intercession is its own thorny topic that we'll deal with at another time, not today. Um, But suffice it to say that there's no difference on doing tawassan with your deeds The hadith of the Prophet about the three men who were trapped in the cave And then all of them made a different dua They said, oh Allah, this thing happened to me, like I really like this woman And then basically he was in a position to take advantage of her And then he didn't do so He said, oh Allah, if I did this for your sake, then move the rock So there's an idea of a certain deed that was done for the pleasure of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala, And asking Allah through that deed Right? So Imam Gusiri, he wrote this poem And he asked Allah to like, basically cure him As a result of this poem that he wrote And it said then that he was very you know, deep about this And he went and it's, it said that he saw in his dream He saw the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Greeted him and that he read the poem to him And that after he read the poem to him The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam touched him So why he said about the Prophet's touch it said that, you know, that he touched him and he put his cloak on him and that when he awoke his paralysis was gone. This is the story behind the poem. Then he woke up, he went out. And when he went out, he ran into a very poor like righteous person along the way. And this person told him, give me the poem that you wrote about the Prophet ﷺ. And he told him, which poem? <laughs> which poem do you mean? And he said the one that starts with this is the Buddha. And so he says he recited to him this poem. And and then it became very famous after that, that everyone knew about the story. And the man told him, I saw in a dream last night that the Prophet was read this poem, and that he put this Buddha on someone. There's different narrations that say different things. Uh, But the idea was that this was a poem that was accompanied by this dream. Al-Busiri himself was well known for writing a lot of poetry and praising the Prophet sallallahu And his counterpart would be Ibn al as secondary. Uh, many people perhaps have heard of the hikam or the wisdoms, the aphorisms of Ibn al-Ta'ala. Ibn al-Ta'ala and Imam Al-Busiri were both students of al abbas al-Mursi. And, and they took two different sides. Ibn al-Ta'ala's emphasis is on Tawheed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in really understanding what it means to submit to Allah and nothing else. And the other side of it is Imam Al-Busiri who spent a lot of emphasis on praising the Prophet and following his way and so on. So when you put them together you get a um, very like, powerful combination. The poem itself was actually originally it's called which means like basically I don't know. Do you, someone have a good translation? Oh, I should have it here somewhere. Abdullah, you have a good translation yeah. of it? It's, it's like basically the beautiful, adorned celestial bodies in the praising of the Prophet Sallallahu um, But of course it became to known became known later on as the Burda. And it's the most famous poem praising the Prophet Sallallahu And Wasallam. It's translated into t- all kinds of different languages. Uh, commentaries have been been written, all kinds of uh, different languages and part of the reason why it's important again is because it gives us a really deep example of someone who's expressing their love for the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wa and in that we have an example of how we can also think about how we love him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then also uh, we learn from it as well. It has uh, basically 10 major sections the first major section is on uh, love and this is the classical arabic model of poetry classical arabic poems always start with basically a love story like a lover and then not seeing them anymore basically even the one of Kaab bin Zuhair where he comes in front of the Prophet Sallallahu and he's worried for his life and he's trying to tell him the story. It starts with Banat Su'ad, which is like Su'ad is gone. She's not there anymore and like I used to see her and all of this stuff. It's a love story. And then it goes into the poem. This is how all Arabic poems traditionally started. Then it moves from the love into, uh, which we understand from the very beginning, that the love here is not about a lover in the traditional sense. It's about the Prophet Sallallahu and his love for the Prophet Sallallahu then it moves into the diseases of the self. Like why is it that I'm not closer to the person that I love? It's because of the diseases of myself. And then he talks about all of those diseases and uh, different things related to it. Uh, one of the lines here that I, I, I liked to covered this one in Azhar was um, That the nafs is like a child. If you leave it, and you just let it do whatever it wants, then it's going to be forever addicted to nursing. But if you force it to be weaned, then it will be weaned. He's saying that your self is like this. If you always give yourself what you want, then it's just going to run out of control. But if you discipline it, it will be disciplined. So this section then talks about that. Then he moves on to praise the Prophet which leads to talking about the Prophet's birth. Miracles related to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Which leads of course to the Qur'an And it leads to the other major miracle Which is Isra al-Mi'raj The ascension of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam To the heavens And then it comes back down To the struggle and jihad of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And then seeking forgiveness through the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Which again we'll talk about later And then it's just like asking Allah for forgiveness And uh, kind of wrapping up the whole poem So, that being said, we start. If you go online, I think you'll probably be able to find uh, at least just the translation. Did anyone try? Anyone try? I can't remember if I tried or not. I think you can probably find at least just the translation of the poem that might help in trying to follow along uh, as, as we go, inshallah. So the first line of the poem is... Which is very difficult to understand even if you speak Arabic. So if you speak Arabic and you didn't understand it, na Don't worry, it happens. This means is it from remembering past neighbors at Lu that you mingle with blood, tears shed from your eyes? Okay, so this is the opening line of the poem, again, so you can, we have to work on it a little bit to get the imagery that's involved, the imagery, and this is, it's very rich when you, the Arabic immediately conjures up imagery, so it says, is it from remembering past neighbors at senem that you mingle with blood, tears shed from your eyes? So the idea here is that it usually, the poems when they talk about the love stories, they usually start with al atlal. al atlal is basically like the area where you used to spend time with your beloved. So, you know, in this case, this is how we have an immediate indication that the beloved here is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Because the Salam is a place that's between Mecca and Medina. So in the verse is a place that's between Mecca and Medina. And some say it was like a traditionally considered like a, a, a historical rendezvous point between lovers. So the idea here is that he tells you is it because of your remembering you know, your neighbors that you used to have at Vusellem? That you're crying so much that your tears are mixed with blood. This is what the verse is saying, right? So when you see Vuselem, you know. He's telling you right from the beginning, this is not your normal love story. This is the love story of someone who misses the Rasul And so this place in between Mecca and Medina, it conjures up a whole world of images about the life of the Prophet And is it because of your time spent with the neighbors in that place, that your tears are so much that they're not just water anymore? But the tears are so much that actually now, it's it's tears that are mixed with blood that are running down your face. The word that's used actually is running. So you have this imagery of, uh, you know, this, this, you get, and, and it goes in so many different ways. So the first thing here is that the poet is placing himself outside of himself, right? So, the poet is talking about himself as the one who loves the Prophet and misses the Prophet, but he's placing himself out of himself and interrogating himself. Right? Is it because of this that this is happening? Is it because of this that you're acting this way? You know, so, he's, there's an interrogation that's occurring, and this is really, really important. This idea of being able to step away from ourselves and look at ourselves critically. And ask questions to ourselves about our own behavior, our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own perspectives, our perceptions. Everything, to stand back and be like, why is it that you did what you did? Did you do what you just did because you wanted people to like you? Did you do what you just did because you wanted to be powerful? Did you do what you just did because you're afraid? Did you do what you just did because you don't like the way that person looks? Did you? Why did you do it? So the first thing that he does, he's pulling out of himself. He's saying, is this why you're crying that much? Is this And this is a very deep interrogation, right? To be able to step back and look at you. Why are you so scared? Now, there's a new book uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And it's a letter to his son. Probably some of you have seen this. It's like a very big book right now. And it's a letter to his son about basically growing up black in America. And he has this whole thing in the beginning about how much he believes that certain actions are inspired by fear. It's very deep, it's like a very, he pulled back and he's interrogating this whole scenario, like how much of this is actually just an issue of fear, you don't have safety. And so pulling back and saying, are you crying because of this and this and this and this and this, he gives us an important lesson in the idea of muhasabah, the idea of self-accountability. That we pull back from ourselves and we look at ourselves, we shine, as my wife likes to use the analogy of, if you imagine the interrogation room, it's very dark and then there's the light right above the table, right? The person sitting there getting interrogated, it's like you're sitting at the table by yourself and you grab the light and you're shining it on yourself. Why are you doing this? What are you doing? Was it good? Was it bad? Thanking Allah for the good, asking Allah's forgiveness for the bad, seeking what areas need to be improved upon. Taking the development of the self seriously, which requires us to interrogate ourselves. So it gives us that idea of muhasabah. The second thing is again about Lusalam, That The mentioning of Lusalam as a place Uh indicates to us that this is about the Prophet because it's a place that's between Mecca and Medina. Did he ever go there? The prophet, was there an incident that he went there To do Salam? I don't know. I didn't. Do you know of anything? He mentioned uh, that okay. it could be possibility that, that if he, went there, that's why he it, went there. Yeah, it could be. al bajuri didn't mention it. I wish I had other commentaries, but he didn't mention it. It's definitely possible that he passed through there, though. Um, and the, the line that we'll come to at the end that Sheikh Abdul hakim Murad puts from Ibn Haqif al kind of uh, indicates that as well. Uh, the, one of the things about Lusallam to consider, or two things to consider about Lusallam. The first one is the impact of geography uh, on memory. So to think about geography and memory and how being in a similar geographic situation or a space situation can bring back memories. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind on this, or even emotions, we may not even realize we're being affected by it. One of the things that comes to mind is this uh, self-interrogation portion of Paulo Freire's work on Pedagogy of Hope. Very important uh, educator in the modern era, Brazilian educator, and he talks about how he used to always he used to get afflicted by these bouts of depression and he couldn't figure out why and at some point he decided that he's going to really analyze like why am I getting afflicted by these things and he started to pay attention to when they happen so like okay it happened at this point he's noting the triggers what's going on so on and so forth and he's studying it for an extended period of time and then he says one time, I went on a trip to the village that I grew up in and it happened to rain when I was there and when it rained when I was there and the mud changed the way that it was and it struck me at that moment that that's what it is. That when the rain comes down in a particular way and it has a particular impact on the dirt and the soil then it takes me to all of these things that happened in my childhood and then I fall into this depression. So the geography has an impact. So the geography of lucenum is supposed to Automatically, like, sprout into our head the entire experience of the Prophet. When we talk about that, and then you think about how he, um, the struggles he went through in Mecca, the things that he faced in the Hijrah, the experiences going through these different places, the battles that occurred around there, the, the community that he had in Medina, all of these things are supposed to sprout up when we see this. But also for ourselves, geography and the experience of space is very important, and that's why, for example, like may Allah reward the people who brought these rugs. These rugs aren't actually normally in the room. The experience of the gathering is different if the rugs aren't there. The experience of the gathering is different if the plant, the fake plant, isn't there. <laughs> the experience of the gathering is different if these beautiful. Uh, Pieces of artwork behind us are not there, so the space affects us. How we keep our home affects us. Um, how we treat our offices affects us. How we keep our cars affects us. Every time I get into my car, I get upset because my car is disgusting, <laughs> and it just shouldn't be. And just Ismail's milk is on doors, and like everything is the way that it is, right? But it can be good or it can be bad. And whether it's good or it's bad, it still can also bring back memories and, and geography, space, temperatures. In Irvine, you know, sometimes it would get very hot. And in the evening, right before Maghrib, you get a little bit of a breeze. And that breeze, every single time we felt it, we say, SubhanAllah, it feels like Cairo today. <laughs> like this is exactly how it would feel like in Cairo when it's a hot day. And right before mud, the heat breaks, and a little breeze comes, and immediately, like, rather than being in the cookie-cutter world of Irvine, I'm sitting on my balcony in Cairo, and I'm watching people drive down the street, and, like, remembering the sights, and the sounds, and the noises, and the food, and everything else. Because the geography does it. So geography has a very uh, important impact in our lives. And then there's also the issue of, like, where you live. You know, when we lived in Cairo, and eventually we started going to the American University when it was outside the city. We didn't realize it until some time passed. You get in your car, and you're driving, and then you hit the end of the city, and you get on the road that goes out to the university. And immediately you're driving, you just feel like, ah. Why? Because Cairo is a concrete jungle. You don't see the sky. It's all buildings. Building after building after building, you do not see the sky. You only see the sky straight up. You can't see the sky by looking this way. You know, like Talib Kwali said in a poem, <laughs> they never looked up to see the high, the skies in all their heavenly glory, because the buildings with peri- the peripherals are buildings with mad stories. You know, like you can't even see the stars because the buildings are blocking them. You can't. Then, as soon as you get out of the city and there's some openness, just has an impact. You would see it also with people that lived in Cairo, the Egyptians themselves, and you go to the village with them. So most of them are from villages anyways. And their personality, as soon as you leave the city and you get to the village, everyone's personality changes. They calm down, they get way more comfortable, easygoing, and so on. So thinking about this geography question also is one of the things in this first verse. Another thing that's in this verse is the idea of memories idea of memories. Is it because of your remembering the time that you had with your neighbors in that place? Our memories are something that is very, very fascinating. You start to think about it. start to think about what are the kind of things I remember, and what are the kind of things that I don't remember. What are the things that I replay over and over in my head? You think about something like Umar ibn Khattab when someone came to him from a town and he was, they asked him how was the town? And the guy complained. Everything was complaints. And someone else came. He's from the same town. They asked him how was the town? Everything that he said was good. So someone with, the Umar, with the Umar he said like, how is this possible? They both came from the same place. He said that guy was looking for bad things and he found them. And that guy was looking for good things and he found them. Now, this is not to negate that some people, that there are, that there is good and bad. It's not to negate structural inequalities. It's not to negate the problems of oppression that are built into societies and people's experiences and so on and so forth. But it is to say that we still do have choices as to what we remember at some level. And I'm personally, this bothers me because I just don't remember anything. (laughs) It's not usually good or bad. I just wish, like, I can, sometimes I, I had in, intentions before, like I should create a little journal so all of the nice things that happen, I can actually remember them, because that would be so cool. Like if you were able to remember all the good things that happened to you and draw on those experiences in life, it would be such a beautiful thing. But it doesn't always happen, right? But our memory really impacts us. And this is on the side of experience. On the side of learning, memorization is important. I know we don't like to memorize things but I'm telling you that memorization is important it's different when you have it and it cannot be taken from you there's people that we met in Egypt SubhanAllah like sometimes you think you know the world what if what if like everything was just destroyed all civilization was destroyed and all of these all of the engineers were gone and the schools are gone and the textbooks are gone and all of these inventions were lost and so on and so forth and you have to start over right? But then you imagine someone like Sheikh Ibrahim and Manning, you're like, if you just take Sheikh Ibrahim, put him in a helicopter and air drop him, like anywhere you want in the world, you immediately established an Islamic university. <laughs> because all of the books are there. You don't even have, he doesn't have to have anything. Just drop him. You can have a tunic on, drop him, you can sit down, and it's done. Subhanallah. everything will come back the Quran will come back the books of Hadith will come back the books of Fiqh will come back the books of poetry will come back the books of Arabic commentary will come back you put them just, just sit down and write for a couple days it's done subhanAllah and he's not alone right? when you have it in your memory it can't be taken from you I again am guilty of this my memory is bad and I don't work hard enough to make it better but when you have it it's with you when you sit down, just one line of poetry, when you sit down for a week and you have it in your mind and you see how many times it comes up. One hadith of the Prophet them you have it in your mind and you see throughout the week how many times it comes up because it's in the front of your mind and you can make the connection and you can access it. People who memorize the Qur'an, see how much the Qur'an becomes part of their life. Not because they're necessarily doing it consciously, but because it's there and they have to review every single day and it's in their mind and now the connection can be made. The connection can't be made if it's not there so memory again uh, another one is very important the other thing about memory is that memories are like anchors and we can drop anchors in our experiences and we can facilitate that in some ways and we should and this is actually part of the Sunnah of the Prophet in the sense that the Sunnah is a marker When you come into the masjid, you do this. When you come into your home, you do this. When you meet somebody, you do this. Now this, you're putting a pillar down, an anchor down, and you can build things around it. Right? Like when you want to memorize a speech, you don't memorize every single word of the speech, right? You memorize the major points. You put the pillars down, and the, the rest of it just stays there. So you put the pillar down. Families, communities, we have to have traditions. Like if you have a family tradition of eating dinner together, Now you have a pillar that's down, that helps you to have something that you can attach your memories onto. You have a family tradition of going on a vacation at a certain time every single year. Now you have a pillar that you can attach those memories to. You have something that you do uh, when you come home from work on Fridays. Attach the memories to it. But it's more of the pillars you can put down without being too rigid with them. Then the more memories can be there. The Prophet, these things are oftentimes very much related also to our senses. Right? You might see something and have a certain memory. You might smell something and have a certain memory. Uh, I know someone who I've seen them before. They will smell something and start crying. Ask them why did you start crying? They said, When I smelled that, I remembered that we had that plant in my country that I was forced to leave 30 years ago and I never been back there since but that exact smell I remember from my childhood and the smell brings back the memory. Right? The Prophet was easy on the senses. If the senses are related to memories the Prophet was easy on the senses. His speech was very nice and soft and beautiful so it's good on the ears. His appearance was very attractive and beautiful. It's he's easy on the eyes. His smell, they say when the Prophet walked in an area of the city, you could tell if he walked there. So his smell was easy on the, on the, on, on, on the nose, right? So the senses, all of them, someone, I think it was Anas radiallahu An says, I never felt anything softer than the hand of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala gave him all of these unique qualities, so that he never leaves the memory of his companions and he never leaves the memory of his followers long. <laughs> Another major thing we take from here is the idea of neighbors. you remember your neighbors it says does he actually mean the neighbor? In the poem is he actually referring to the neighbor? he's not referring to the neighbor. he's referring to the beloved. So then why is he using the word neighbor to refer to the beloved? Because as Imam al-Bajuri he says, jiwar and mahbubiyah. That what comes with being with someone all the time is that you love them. What comes from being with someone all the time is that you love them. So you come to the salawat and you see people, you begin to love them. You come to the community gatherings, you begin to see people, you begin to love them. Anyone who sat in a halaqah for an extended period of time that has like 5, 10, 15 people, what happens if you sit with that group for a year, two years, three years? You love those people. Is it because of anything in particular? Not really. It's because you sat with them every single week for three years. So because you're always with them, you love them. So he uses the word neighbors to refer to actually the one that is beloved. Why think about this then in the context of the Prophet's emphasis on being good to your neighbors? The neighbor should be the person who we love them we love very deeply. I remember one speaker in our community actually he had an issue one time with law enforcement, he was being harassed, I think it was by the FBI, and he was detained. And the only person's phone number that he could remember was his non-Muslim neighbor. Because he calls them so much. So he called them, he said, you know, this happened. They showed up, no problem. Show up right away, I'll help you, bail you out, do whatever you need to do because you're our neighbor. We know you, we love you, we have this relationship with you, it's established. The Prophet said, Jibreel, was telling me so much about my neighbors I thought they were gonna inherit from me. Allah subhanahu wa he commanded Ihsan to al jar al-qareeb and al-jaar al-junab is you, you have command to have goodness and excellence to your neighbor who's close to you and your neighbor who's next to you. Some commentaries they said different things. They said this means you're commanded to have excellence to your neighbor who's Muslim and to your neighbor who's not Muslim. Some said it means you're commanded to have excellence to your neighbor who's right next to you and it also includes your neighbors that are f- up to 40 houses away. Some said as long as they can smell the food of your home when you're cooking, they're your neighbor. And you have to have excellence towards them. Some said if you were to go out and call, if they can hear you, then they're your neighbor. <laughs> so all of these people in the Qur'an you're commanded to have excellence to. In the same line that Allah commands excellence to the parents, and to the poor, and those who are in need, and the relatives, and the traveler, and the neighbor, the close neighbor and the far neighbor. Uh, Imam al-Qurtubi said this indicates that it applies to Muslims. Imam al-Qurtubi said this indicates that the verse applies to Muslims and non-Muslims. Says, and that is the correct opinion. It is clear that it applies uh, to both of them. So there's merit in simply being with people. Sometimes life is very high-paced. I have this that I'm going to get. If I don't get, I no longer come. There's merit in just being there. There's merit in spending time with someone even if you don't have a whole lot to say. You spend time with them, you're next to them. You spend time next to them, you grow when you're closest to them. Look what Brother uh, Shraq right, said. He said, why did I want to come? Because it's the remembrance of the Prophet them But what's better than a good topic and good company? You want to be close to the people because when you spend time with them, it makes you happy. I gave khutbah at Culver City last week. I felt so lonely. <laughs> Used to giving khutbah in Orange County and seeing all of these people that I know. There's a couple of faces in the audience. I knew them. Immediately you see a couple of faces that you know, calm comes to your to your heart. Because there's this relationship from people that you spend time with. You know, Amr was one of them. I didn't send them left the room, but Amr was one of them. So you have in the the Sunnah of the Prophet I them that there's merit to spending time. Even if there's not really anything going on The man went out to visit his brother And the angel was sent To meet him in the path And he came to him he said Where are you going? He said I'm going to visit my brother He said do you have a haja from him? you have something you need from him? He said no I don't have anything that I need from him I just want to visit him And then the angel told him I'm an angel sent to you by Allah To tell you that Allah loves you The way that you love your brother Is there any reason for it? No reason. just want to visit him. I miss him. I want to see him. I want to remember them. This is a big issue that comes up in these these early uh, verses of the poem. It's also one of the reasons why people struggle when they leave MSAs. When you're in MSA, you're right there with the believers all the time. Or when you're in a tight community, you're right there with the believers all the time. You go to work, who are you spending time with all the time? Work. Life, problems, drama, deadlines, everything else That's what becomes what's right next to you So it has an impact then On the heart This is also why the Prophet them commanded us To avoid certain types of spaces It's not only that you don't drink alcohol But that you don't sit on the table Where alcohol is being served and this is not the place for the fiqh question Of what if it's my work and all this stuff Forget that right now I'm talking about where you should be and what that effect is on your heart. The being, just being around certain things has an impact on the heart. Supporting Muslim businesses has an impact on the heart. Being around the community has an impact on the heart. Doing good things has an impact on the heart. Geography has an impact on the heart. Again, it's an issue of what you're near and what you're close to. There's two last points, I'll just finish them up so we can conclude inshaAllah. The the one is about the mixing of the blood and tears, obviously it's a metaphor on a lot of crying happening. The word that's used is running, you know, their tears are running, in English we use the same term, right? That it's a metaphor for there's so many tears that are coming down, but you know, part of this is that you miss the person that you love and that it's okay to cry. So something that I had to actively learn when I became a Muslim. Because you don't cry. The men grown men don't cry. What are you talking about Then like you become a Muslim and you go into like Pocahontas and you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> crying in the cheesiest things because like it's actually good to cry. It's good. If you cannot get yourself to cry, it's a problem. So someone I know they asked uh, very prominent shaykh you know they're like well I don't like to do this or that because sometimes then I start crying so it's okay just let yourself cry just go ahead it's fine when yeah. you're inspired by something you cry Abu Bakr radiallahu anh Aisha she said to the Prophet them when he was sick don't have Abu Bakr lead the salat because if Abu Bakr leads the salat we won't actually be able to pray as soon as he starts the salah, he's going to cry so much that we can't pray imagine subhanahu Abu Bakr radiallahu Anhu." Some of the things that say about Umar al-Khattab, this big strong man, some of say that he had the lines of tear marks on his face. So in the remembrance of Allah, tears come. That's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's a sign that the heart has some life to it. And the longing for those things that you miss that are good is a good thing. Even if you're not up to that level Longing for being in the presence of good is a good thing Mu'ad ibn Jabbar He said uh, At the end of his life he was crying He's a great man, a great companion of the Prophet He said, why are you crying? You know, it's life Everyone dies type thing He said, that's not why I'm crying He said, I'm crying because I'm going to miss The hot long days of fasting The thirst that I would feel on those days And I'm going to miss the long nights Where I would stand in prayer. And he said, And I miss the gatherings of the people of knowledge where we come in so close to one another that our knees are touching each other. So I miss all of those things. That's why I'm crying. So this idea, the feeling of longing is a good feeling if it's put in the right place. All these feelings that we have, we have them for reasons. Allah didn't create feelings in us for no reason. We have feelings for reason. They just have to be put in the right place. The lines that uh, Sheikh al Hakim brings to go along with this one are from Ibn Al bin Eid. Ibn Al al Eid was a very um, prominent scholar of Islam who also lived in Egypt. And they say, stop at the halting places. It's perfect for the hajj season. It says, stop at the halting places near Mecca's holy places. Seek out the Prophet's traces with dust anoint your cheek. So it says, you know, you go to these places, stop in them. You go through Mecca, you go through Medina, you go in the areas where the Prophet eyes and lived. Stop and just think. Let your mind and your heart connect to the Prophet's eyes. Seek out the Prophet's traces, the touch of the Prophet's eyes them in all these different places, and then with dust anoint your cheek and put your head on the ground. Put your head on the ground, prostrate, thank Allah subhanahu wa taala, pray connect to Allah and be reminded of Allah by the connection to the Prophet So this is the first line of the Burda uh, We'll stop here, I went obviously longer than intended because I wanted to give you a taste for the poem so that inshallah uh, people will hopefully join us in the future Some people it seems had understood that we're going to talk about the Burda for one lesson and one brother told me he's like so you're going to do what, probably what like 10 lectures I said I'm thinking it'll probably take more like 100 <laughs> he thought I was joking <laughs> I thought uh, I said well, you know maybe if we speed up it might take 50 he said 15 like 1-5 I said no, not 15 Five 50 uh, because you can see this is one line so many places that we can go but I think that they're important things to think about uh, as we progress in our journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll ask Allah to accept from us, to increase us in our love of the Prophet they will send them. If there's any questions or comments, people feel free to share them. Please uh, go ahead.